Good morning, Fellowship Fable. How are we? Good. Welcome those of you who are with us on live stream. I want us to stand together, and the first thing I want us to do this morning is to read this together from Psalm 145. I don't know how you enter in this morning, but what I do know is that our Lord is merciful and gracious and faithful, and we get to declare that together as a family this morning. So we're gonna read this together. There's gonna be a slide that says leader, and then a slide that says all, and when it says all, we're all gonna read that out loud together, and then we're gonna praise the Lord this morning. So let's read this together. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. My mouth will speak in praise of our Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Let's sing this together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's sing that again. Praise God. Praise God from
Thank him for his mercy this morning. You can grab a seat. Well, good morning, fellowship. I'm so glad that y'all are here to worship together as the body of Christ. It's good to be here, isn't it? It's really good to be here. And so whether you're here in person or watching online, thanks so much for choosing to gather with the body of Christ and worship together. My name is Aaron Parks, and I get the privilege of being in charge of our elementary ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. This is Gretchen Friesen, who's in charge of our early childhood, and Tad Moore, who is in charge of our student ministry, 7th through 12th graders, and we just wanted to kind of reintroduce ourselves to y'all. It's been a long time since we've gotten to gather together with kids and Fayette kids, and so FSM has started back up, and so we just wanted to kind of reintroduce ourselves to y'all. And we've got quite a few things to tell you about this morning, so we're going to go ahead and get going. The first one is Merge. Merge is a premarital class designed to give engaged couples or seriously dating couples an opportunity to gain a biblical perspective on marriage and to gather and get some godly wisdom in small groups and kind of some large group times. It's an awesome class, an awesome experience. And so if that's you, if you are engaged or seriously dating, this is a great thing for you to go through. It starts here in a couple of weeks, so you can sign up online. Tad, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on in FSM? Yeah, so we have restarted our 7th through 12th grade services at both the 9 and 1030 service. We've also launched cell groups, and so if you are a 7th through 12th grade student or if you're a family with 7th through 12th grade students, uh, we would love to help connect your kid into a cell group. They meet in host homes throughout Fayetteville. Uh, They're meeting right now in groups of 10 or less and and social distancing and keeping masks on, and our kids are doing an awesome job with this, and and it's just been really fun to see them gathering again and studying the Word Uh, We also want to connect with you parents and and put resources in your hand. And so if you uh, are looking for those, the best place to find them are on our app. You can look on the App Store uh, or the Android Store. It's called FSM NWA. And from this app, there are devotionals for students and families. Uh, There's parent resources for how to navigate some difficult topics. You can find all of our cell group curriculum there, schedules, et cetera, et cetera. It's kind of a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about fellowship student ministries. Uh, and we also would love to share another resource with you. Our friends at the Fellowship Rogers campus, their student team put together this book called Listen. And throughout it are just some good uh, prompts for conversation about all sorts of topics that high school students are going through. Uh, and so a lot of parents I know that have this, they just kind of tuck it on their, their dashboard in their car. And maybe as they're waiting in line to pick up their kids, just looking through, what, what is a conversation we could have today? There's some scripture references along with that. And so we've got these on a table out in the foyer. You could grab on your way out. Uh, please grab just one per family. Um, you can also, if you're watching online or if you're more of a, a digital type person, we've got this on our app as well, a PDF version that you can scroll through and find on our parent resource page. And also for elementary and early childhood, there are resources on the website. Uh, you can, like Michael talked about last week, underneath each, if you're going to listen to one of the sermons, there's a family worship resources link, or you can follow us on Instagram at Fayette Kids, and you can click the link in the bio to find some family resources there. Another thing that we're really excited about is, are, are these Lent books, and these are out there. Lent starts next Wednesday. Now, if you're like me, you probably maybe don't know what Lent is, and I didn't know what Lent was until recently, and so Lent is to Easter what Advent is to Christmas. It's a time where we begin to orient our hearts and our minds towards Easter, and so this is a Devo. You guys can grab one of these per family out there and just sit down each night, gathering around God's Word, asking some questions. Uh, engaging the scriptures together. And it's just a a beautiful time to be able to point our hearts and our minds towards Easter. So Gretchen, what is the number one question that we get asked in Fayette Kids? Well, first, I always get asked, how am I doing? And then the next question is, when do we get to have kids back in our children's classes back there in Fayette Kids? And what is kind of the typical response we've been giving people? I've been just saying, I really don't know. We trust our elders that they're going to tell us exactly the right time that it will be safest for our leaders, for our staff, for our kids to have classes again. And what are we going to start telling them today? Well, today I'm so super excited because we get to say that starting in just a few weeks on Friday nights and then on Sunday mornings, we get to have our children's back, our children back in classes on the weekend of March 5th through the 7th. Woo-hoo. 
so it's been almost exactly a year. So we just wanted to round out the year. That's really like, we're just kind of type A people. We want to make sure it's a year, 52 Sundays. So March 7th, we get to start having Fate Kids again. And so it's an exciting time where in Fate Kids, we get to help families love Jesus more. And we've been doing that over this last year, even though it's looked different. And even as we start classes over here, it will continue to do that. And so we're excited. So March 7th, be looking for more information coming out uh, on that. But yeah, we're super excited. So Gretchen, what do we need to get ready for March 7th? We need people. We need you all to step in and serve in so many different capacities on Friday nights and Sunday mornings. So we're looking for classroom teachers. We're looking for check-in greeters, door greeters, large worship um, leaders, teachers, and tech booth helpers too. So there are many opportunities for you to get involved And we have tried to make it really easy for you to get connected with us so that we know that you're interested by giving you a QR code that you can scan, and it takes you right to our serve page on the website. And then also, if you don't have your phone with you today, there is some uh, paper forms out in the foyer that you can fill out and hand to one of us as well. Uh, Thanks, Gretchen. Um, so why don't we bow our heads in prayer, and then we're going to jump back into worshiping the Lord together and, and preparing our hearts to hear from his word. So bow your heads with me. Father, we love you, and, and Lord, we are so thankful that because of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, and Lord, that we know he's ascended to sit at your right hand, that we have an invitation to come through what he's done to be your children, and you've adopted us into your family. Um, and Lord, we love you, and, and we trust that you're a good father who looks out for our needs. So would you continue to protect our church? continue to teach us and discipline us to be more like Jesus. And Lord, will we just be sensitive to the the nudging of your spirit in everything that we do. Lord, as we continue to worship, would it be pleasing to your ears? Would it be authentic and and from our hearts? Would we we prepare ourselves to hear from your word and will we walk away different and transform because your word is powerful? We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. So glad you're here with us. Uh, If you're joining us this week and this is your first time over the last couple of weeks, we're actually in the middle of a series called Joshua. And uh, the series has been amazing, has has it not? Um, It's been so good. Week one of Joshua, we talked about um, Joshua. He's the new commander of, of the Israelites. And Moses has just died. And now Joshua is stepping in as the new leader. And if you've ever been placed in a new leadership position, you know that that comes with some some fear. And so the Lord continually reminded Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And the way that you can be strong and courageous is know that I'm with you. My presence is the gift behind that. And then last week, uh, Michael taught us about Rahab and what um, allegiance turned to Christ looks like, turned to God looks like, and that there's no one that is too far away from the love of God. And so this morning, we're gonna sing a song that we've sang once or twice in here called Promises. In the first line of the song, it says, God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and and of faithful promises. And so even as we study Joshua, it's part of a larger story. And the story is God made a promise to Abram. He said, I will bless you and your family will be a blessing. And the rest of the Bible is, is, is this story of how humans continue to choose themselves over God and how he is committed and faithful to the plan that he promises, that he is in control and that when we as humans are faithless, he is faithful. And so we sing this song as a reminder of his faithfulness. This was the overview of the book of Joshua. Hear this. The book of Joshua describes Yahweh giving his people the land that he had promised and to instruct generations of Israel to trust and obey Yahweh. And who is he? Who is a faithful covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And so would you stand with us and let's sing this out together. We sing to a faithful God who says true. When he promises something, he does it. God of Abraham, God of covenant, faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven, do just what you say. And the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. 
good to be your child this morning and to claim those promises, uh, the ones that made us right with you, uh, that gave us a new beginning, uh, the promises that we bank on uh, even for our future um, as a church and as we walk in our new identity uh, this morning. Um, God, would your word be made clear to us this morning? Uh, would you give us the grace to walk in it, to apply it, and to bless others with it? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church family. If you're new with us, uh, my name is Clark, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors on a really fun and a great pastoral team here in Fayetteville. And if you're watching online, hey, welcome to church this morning. We know many of you are still uncomfortable gathering um, in large gatherings, and so we're glad that we've been able to continue um, to provide that as well. And we welcome you to join us. Get your Bible out. Um, read the text with us as we walk through uh, Joshua 3 this morning. Just wanted to, uh, just a, a quick reminder, hey, we're still in this, and I wanted to say thank you again as your pastor for your patience as we've continued to try to practice many of the protocols so that we can continue to meet and move towards an actual date where we can involve our children as well down in the Fayette Kids area. And so to do that, we just want to continue to ask you, um, to be faithful, to uh, wear your mask when you're inside our building, when you're inside the room, keep it on. Um, continue to try as best we can. It's not as big of a deal here at the 9. At the 1030, it gets pretty crazy in here. Um, but try to keep at least two seats uh, space between uh, you and another family, you and another group of roommates or whatnot. And then this is what I've been struggling with. The last few weeks, I've been seeing so many new people and it's, that I hadn't seen in a while. So the fist bump, the shoulder, it turns into a side hug. And uh, I'm just, an extended conversation, I'm just so excited to see everybody. And I've been lingering in this room longer after the service and in the foyer. And we just ask you to go ahead and just file on out. And if you want to continue that in the 14-degree parking lot, then you can do that. And so just help us out. We want to continue to be able to provide an atmosphere where people feel comfortable, um, but also that we, we can meet in and continue our services. Well, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, um, this spring, Pam and I found ourselves in the middle of really the first big decision that we had to make as a young married couple. You see, we'd been married about six and a half years, and we had made our way down day one of our marriage to this little town called Oxford, Mississippi. And we'd been asked to move there to help start um, a ministry there at the Ole Miss campus. And we really um, did what most people told us to do. They said, hey, Bloom where you're planted. Hey, the grass is green where you cultivate it. And so we jumped into a new church. We started a community group. Uh, we began to give our lives to investing in the next generation of leaders there at the University of Mississippi campus. Um, our first home, um, this is 3318 Whippoorwill Lane in uh, Oxford, Mississippi, 38655. This was where we um, 
that we made our first home, and there were definitely not these trees because I couldn't get anything to grow there. I still remember that. And God gave us in this home um, our first son, Nate, and then Pam, Pam was pregnant with Jacob um, about six months or so when we were processing um, something that was staring us down here. We had also um, gotten house plans, and we were going to build and move in next door to um, some of next door to some of our best friends there in town. And then on a late January day in 2001, um, some leaders in our ministry organization, they sat down in our living room in this house, and they said, hey, we'd like you to move to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Fayetteville, Arkansas. We didn't want to go. We had never, nothing wrong with Fayetteville. In fact, this has been the greatest two decades in blessing of our life. But we had found ourselves at home, and Pam knew that at this point of decision, we were in trouble. You see, old Clarkie here is not the quickest decision maker, okay? I process and evaluate, and I evaluate the process, and I get caught somewhere in between nostalgia and the what's next. I get paralyzed in that moment. And so for three months, we agonized. We tried to find out other ways to stay in Oxford and continue our ministry and our marriage and our family there. But on a late uh, May day in 2001, a U-Haul sat in the driveway of this home, and we loaded it up, and we made our way up. I hate it when this happens. And we made our way up I-55 across 40 and up 49. I don't know what it was called then. Um, up into the Ozarks in a, in a little apartment off Greg Street. Um, with two boys in tow under 17 months. And we began a restart. We began uh, our new life here in Fayetteville. But I remember when we were processing that decision, what gripped me. And it's so clear now as you look back two decades. These three questions that we processed. Can God be trusted at points of crossing or points of decision? And can he be trusted through those who lead you? A little more difficult, right? Is he with us in this, or was this just kind of manufactured? Is God in this decision, and am I alone in this decision? Is he with us in this, and how will he do this? Is he in the details, and how will he make a way for us to make a move? And those three questions no doubt haunted me at times during that process, and maybe you found yourself at a crossing, if you will, a point of decision, an intersection, and you're asking those three questions right now. No doubt, compared to Joshua 3 today in our scene, we're not camping east of the Jordan. We weren't doing that. But for us, it was a significant face step to trust God, a test of our faith. Would trust produce obedience? Would belief produce Behavior. How does spiritual trust turn into a physical step? And if you're the Israelites, how much do they need to know in our story today? What, how much do they need to know to take a step into the Jordan River? Would their faithful covenant-keeping God come through again? And so I believe God has something for us in Joshua 3 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. He's rescued his people at this point from something for something. They're not only, they're no longer running from their enemies lost in the wilderness. They're running towards their enemies for conquest into the land that God has promised them. Moses led them away. Joshua is now marching them towards across the Jordan where they would move towards conquest and the journey of obedience. And I want to let this statement resonate with you this morning. God is with us at the crossing of trust and obedience. You could say God is with us in the crossing, literally speaking, as we look at our story today, in the crossing of trust and obedience. And for the people of God this morning, they experience a promise fulfilled, this grand promise of a land that they were granted to inherit. And each obedient step into the dry Jordan River this morning, they see a faithful God come through. But this morning, I want to take a little bit of different angle. Instead of just kind of working through this, these 17 verses, in a linear fashion, 
I want to fly up kind of drone level and look down through a spiritual lens, not just a map lens, and see what's going on. What are the elements involved in their faith step here uh, this morning? It's a drone shot looking down. If you look down, yes, you would see a river. Yes, you would see Jericho across on the west side. And then, yes, you would see about two million people camped in this place um, at a river that we find out is at flood stage. But what else do you see here? What's going on? I want to give us just four things to kind of um, walk us through our passage today. The first thing, he's given them a task to prepare for. Uh, The task is simply to cross the Jordan. But he gives them very specific things to do to prepare to do that. Things that it's the part they play in preparation. He also gives them a promise to trust, as we just sang about. God's clear in his past promise of inheritance. And he's going to give them very specific promises related to this event. He also promises them and gives them his presence to dwell. That question, am I alone in this? He affirms that they are not alone. And then finally, we see this covenant-keeping, uh, supernatural God come through with great powers. He accomplishes what only he can do in the miracle of the dry riverbed this morning. But a little bit of background as we set up, just to kind of give you a framework kind of for where we're at. Um, this is just, uh, just a rudimentary map of the area. They're going to be camped out just there north of the Dead Sea, to the east of Jericho. Um, that city, Adam, is about 16 to 18 miles north of there, and uh, that's where they're going to be camped out right here. Um, if you go up north, we learn a little bit about uh, the Jordan River as it flows down from Mount Hermon and into the Sea of Galilee, and then it flows into, um, down into the Dead Sea. Um, the Jordan River, is it weaves its way down and drops about 3,100 feet. It's over 220 miles long, and very significant things have happened um, here in the Jordan River. If you move forward into the story, um, you'll see, or if you consider the history of Israel, you'll see that Jacob crossed it um, before he um, stepped out and blessed his family. You'll see a Naaman, the Syrian captain, was healed in this river. There's a variety of leadership transitions. We see one happening today from Moses to Joshua. You see a leadership transition later from Elijah to Elijah. Um, this is the river that Jesus was baptized in, and John had prepared the way, and he steps back as he baptizes Jesus, and Jesus inaugurates his ministry. And due to the snowmelt from Mount Hermon north and the spring rains, they find themselves at this river um, on the east side at flood stage. Now, during normal time of the year, it looks much like a creek in many areas of the Jordan River. At its deepest point, maybe about 17 feet. At its widest, maybe 100. Um, some scholars believe it was at least up to its banks, if not overflowing, maybe up to 300 feet. And so if you're them and you are considering the anticipation of what's about to happen and what you've been called to do, you maybe are starting to sense a little bit of human inadequacy if you're camped on the east side right here. Maybe at night when you're putting your family down and you're getting ready to rest, you can hear the waters raging. And you start to think about stories you've heard about these enemies across the way near Jericho, the Canaanites. And you're wondering about the unknown, and you're wondering, is this really the best move? And you're asking the question, can God be trusted? Is he in this, and how is he going to do this? And so that's where we find ourselves um, this morning. And the first thing we observe from this spiritual drone view is that he's given them a task to prepare for, a task to prepare for. And there are over, and this is interesting, in these 17 verses, there are over, there, there are at least 30 verbs or phrases used to describe what they are to do. Things that they're responsible for in preparation. We're not going to look at all those, but I wanted to highlight a few of those tasks that they were given to prepare for this. The officers right out of the gate um, in verse 1 and 2, they say, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, your God, um, of, of the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, do this. Set out from your place and follow it. See it, set out, and follow it. Verse 4, 
Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 3,000 feet, little over a half mile in distance. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And so one of those instructions is to keep your distance from the ark and keep your eyes on the ark. While the ark was holy and not to be touched by anyone, some have suggested, practically speaking, that for two million people, maybe about a mile wide in a crossing area, for them to be able to keep their eyes on the ark physically, this was a good distance to help them do that. So there's a practical insight God has for him here. It's, it was also uh, customary in, in ancient Near Eastern cultures for this type of distance to be between the army and the king as the royal procession would move in towards battle. And so we have a few commands, some tasks that they're to do and be a part of right here. Then Joshua says to the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. Get your heart ready. This consecration, is, it's the idea that we get our New Testament word sanctification from. Set apart from sin for God's purposes. It's the same idea here. Get your heart ready. Set yourselves apart from sin and prepare yourselves for what God has for you here. Some scholars believe that maybe some of them uh, were asked to engage in a ceremonial uh, putting off and a putting on of clothing, a cleansing ceremony uh, as they prepared themselves for battle. That was common. They were to consecrate themselves. It's the idea that we get in some of Paul's language in the New Testament, that idea of putting off the old man, putting on the new man. We set our heart aside for God's purpose by turning from sin in our heart. And so they're consecrating themselves. Then Joshua says to the priests, he's got a real simple plan for them. Take up the ark, stand still in the Jordan. Take up the ark, pass before the people, and then stand still in the Jordan. They would serve spiritually, if you will, if you um, are in the, the season of life where you're taking your children to school and you've experienced that crossing guard moment where you're trying to figure out, hey, am I going to be the one to try to squeeze through because I know it's going to be another five minutes. They were going to serve as a spiritual crossing guard, if you will. And then we have, finally, Joshua saying to the people, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Here's how you're going to know that God's living among you without fail. He's going to drive out these peoples, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Say that seven times in a row. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. He's given very specific instructions for preparation. It's their responsibility. But I want to summarize the part they play with this. Really simple. If you consider the big idea, their eyes are supposed to be on the ark and their feet are supposed to be in the Jordan. And so I want us to repeat that together today. If you're a child in here right now and you're under 12 years old, I need you to say this with me, okay? Eyes on the ark, all right? Can you do that? One, two, three. Eyes on the ark. All right, kids, help me out here. Don't leave me hanging. Eyes on the ark, okay? Now, I want everybody to say it. All right? Everybody say it with me. Eyes on the ark. Ready? One, two, three. Eyes on the ark. Okay? One, two, three. Feet in the Jordan. One, two, three. Feet in the Jordan. Okay? Simple instructions. Eyes on the ark. Feet in the Jordan. Remember that. It sums up the part that they are to play in trusting a faithful covenant, keeping God. If they're going to be able to do that, they're going to know that God is going to be the faithful one to come through. And so he's also given them a promise to trust here in our passage today. Not only do we have the broad promise, this inheritance that he's promised them um, for decades now, for generations, this inheritance of land. But in verse 5, he says, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In verse 7, he makes a specific promise to Joshua Today, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. In verse 10, he says this, he will without fail drive out those nations we just read about from before you. And then in verse 13, 
He says, this is what's going to happen to the river. The waters are going to be cut off and they're going to stand up in one heap. So he's given them just enough instruction to know based on his faithfulness in the past that he's going to come through again and they can bank on his promise. But a promise is only as good as the one and the one's ability and character to keep the promise. And we see that here. He also gives them this sense of presence that he is with them and that they're not alone in this venture. He does this primarily through the Ark of the Covenant. Over 10 times, it's mentioned in chapter 3 alone, this idea or a reference to the Ark of the Covenant. Um, The Ark of the Covenant was a primary expression of God's power and presence among his people. And this would be demonstrated as it would serve as we talked about the crossing guard for them to get across the Jordan. And it reminds us that this was not just a military maneuver, but this was a religious procession. God, the supernatural God of all the earth is in charge here. It's an important piece of furniture that was part of the tabernacle experience. Inside um, inside the ark was the pot of manna, Aaron's rod that, rod that, that budded, and the two tablets of the law. But on top of it, was of this gold topping, was the mercy seat. And this is where the priest during Yom Kippur would offer up a blood sacrifice uh, to atone for the sins of the nation. And so this symbol, it was a recognition of God's presence and power. It would be involved in, as we'll see here in a few weeks, at the defeat of Jericho at the covenant renewal at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Um, this presence of God is nothing new. It's we had it in the garden. It was interrupted in the fall. God's presence was with them as they wandered in the wilderness to get them to this point. And it was, uh, it was a, a fire by night and a pillar, a cloudy pillar by day as it was a reminder that God was with them. And so this idea of ark signifies presence. Also, in verse 7, he says this, When he's talking to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And in their day, and in our day as well, you feel the presence of God if you know the presence of God is with your leader. It built confidence in their willingness to trust, and God would use miracles through the leader to affirm that he was with them. And when Joshua spoke, they would now listen and act. And then verse 10, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you. He's assuring them of his presence. And then finally, we see in this great grand miracle, this power that God has to accomplish something that a man could not. Um, A couple of times, these phrases are used to describe this great and powerful God, the living God and the Lord of all the earth. Um, These are Um, references to Yahweh being sovereign over all the nations of the world. And so they was to build confidence in them to know that he is in complete control. And then we see, and we'll pick it up in verse 16, when the miracle happens. It says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at a city called Adam, that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, were completely cut off. And then the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. It's the miracle, it's the power to accomplish something that only God could pull off. And so there are some suggested ideas on how this miracle actually happened. When you consider some kind of natural conclusion of what happened, some believe that there was a natural earthquake that caused the high banks of the Jordan to collapse. And there's some limestone cliffs just north of this area and that they maybe collapsed and then they they dammed up the Jordan during this flood season. Um, They do have recorded history in the last 800 years that this has happened twice, okay? So that that is a possibility, and it's a a possibility that God could have caused the earthquake as well. Or we have for ourselves here just a full-blown supernatural act of God to do something that only he could pull off. 
It was predicted. It came to pass. It was unlikely as a natural phenomenon when you consider flood stage, the dry land, which I take as dry, not muddy, but it was dry land, and that after they had passed, it was restored to its normal flow. So I would like to say and propose this to us, God showed up and he did a supernatural miracle, something that only he could do to remind the people that not only could he push away through a wall of water and make a way for them, but he would also, this would signify him pushing away their enemies before them, and he would do something that only he could do. And I want to take this another step as we consider um, just some ideas of application. When we trust God's promise, there seems to be this supernatural presence or confidence in him to help us move forward in taking an actual physical next step. And I got to believe that his faithfulness in the stories that were told of the Red Sea helped them as they rose up from their tent that day and they begin to march towards the Jordan. This trust in promise turns into this, this physical energy, if you will, that God is worthy of trusting and I can act on that promise. He helps us literally take the next step. And so what if God's part in our story today and in our story in present day, what if God's part is not only a supernatural miracle, but what if God's part is the divine enablement for, enablement for us to play our part? What if there's something supernatural about the work he does in and through us? And I want to jump to um, some New Testament verses to remind us of this power. In Colossians 1, as Paul is toiling for the sanctification for the Colossian church, he says this, this I toil in verse 29, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. In Philippians chapter 2, just after the passage that we read about the humility of Jesus in his death on our behalf, he encourages them to obey in that spirit of humility. And he encourages them to work out your own salvation, live out what's already true of you with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can kind of see our part, God's part, and part of God's part is to enable us to do our part. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we're certain that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, something he's doing, created in Christ Jesus for something we do, good works, which God did, prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You see the handshake this divine enablement to trust God and act on his promises. And then finally, Romans 8, 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the, flesh, the deeds of the body, you will live. They remind me in some sense that we experience God's presence when we act on God's promise. And that's what we have happening here at the crossing of the Jordan. David Jackman says it like this, when God applies his word to our life in regard to something he's calling us to do, we must begin to do it in the strength that he supplies as soon as we can. And this was a great reminder for me. My temptation, our temptation, is to wait and then ask for further light without acting on the light or the instructions that he's already given us. A great reminder for us this morning, Fellowship Fayetteville, God is with us at the crossing of trust and obedience. He's with us in the crossing of trust and obedience. And I'm certain that some of us in this room are camped right now on the east side of the Jordan. And we hear the waves and we sense the unknown of what's across the Jordan near Jericho. And maybe we're paralyzed with those three questions. Can God be trusted? I would give you an affirmative. Yes, he's the faithful covenant-keeping God. Is God with them? Yes, he's with them through the presence of the ark, through the presence of those promises fulfilled in his presence through their leader, Joshua. And then how will God do this? He will make a way, not just to follow through on his promise, but give them very specific instructions on the way that he will get them across 
the river. Back to the U-Haul some 20 years ago. I don't know, honestly, and this is maybe how my own decision-making works, um, but I usually try to get all the information I can so that I know that the decision I make will not fail, and it's not a miss. How many of you are like that? I mean, some of you, you'd, you'd get a spreadsheet out and develop it um, to make decisions like this. I'm not so sure if I look back on that I didn't really, really sense God's presence until I was making my way across the Mississippi and across Arkansas on I-40 and up 49. Uh, you see, the sweetness of God's presence happens at that intersection of trust and obedience. And I look back and I think, you know what? Maybe in this room this morning, some of you are at a crossing and you're camped on the east side and you're wondering if Yahweh, the Lord of all the earth, is gonna come through. Will he be a faithful covenant-keeping God for you? What decision are you at? Is it a demotion? Is it a promotion? Is it a transition opportunity? Is it a relationship decision? Some of you find yourselves at a crossing. It's a medical crossing. And you're wondering if you can trust God with the raging river and the unknown on the other side. I want to remind you that his promise and presence are real. What opportunity is in front of you to trust God's promise, trust his presence, trust his power to, to enable you to the task that he's called you to? You pray with me. Well, Father, um, we come to you, our faithful covenant-keeping God, and we are mindful of the unknown and the raging waters that many of us find ourselves in this morning. And with the people of Israel, we want to affirm that you are Yahweh, our faithful covenant-keeping God. You're worthy of our trust. Your promise is true. Your presence is real. Your power has showed up. God, would you help us follow through on the task you've given us to do? And we'll ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was 1886 at a uh, Dwight L. Moody um, revival in Brockton, Massachusetts. And he had just finished, and the, the, the male who was with him that was leading the, the music, David uh, Daniel Towner, he was sitting in a testimony meeting so after his revival, a testimony meeting, and just hearing the stories of, of how the Lord is changing people's lives, and a young gentleman stood up, and he said, I'm not sure if I believe everything, but I'm gonna decide to trust, and I'm going to decide to obey. And so Daniel, the, the, the musician, he, he wrote that down like any typical songwriter would do. He was like, oh, I like that. I might think about that later. And he sent the phrase over to a Presbyterian minister named John Samus. And John Samus wrote a song called Trust and Obey that our church, when I say church, I mean the, the Big C Church. The Church of America has been singing since 1987. And so this morning as we play this song for you, I want you to stop and I want you to pause and I want you to ask that question. Is, is there a place that I need to trust and obey and know that the Lord is with me.
writer to the Hebrews had these words to say in the, the great Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah constructed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Jacob blessed. By faith, Moses refused, chose, and left Egypt. He endured. He kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises by faith, they stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, they were made strong out of weakness. By faith, they were tortured, suffered, flogged, and mocked. And then chapter 12, we have this promise. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us consecrate ourselves let us run with endurance. It wasn't a river. Now it's a race that we run that's set before us. 
verse 2 of 12, looking to Jesus. Some versions say fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We no longer fix our eyes or see and look to the ark. We look to the one that the ark pointed to and his name is Jesus. And that is God's faithful covenant-keeping promise that he's given to us. His name is Jesus. And so for today, it's for today, was to remember eyes on Jesus. And for right now, at least, for those of us in this room, feet in Fayetteville. Eyes on Jesus and feet in Fayetteville. We love you, fellowship. Have a great week.